0: Is Bloomberg surveillance. I think most experts would agree that the world needs more expansionary fiscal policy.
1: I think the FOMC is trying to tell us, hey guys, there is actually a
2: good case to be made for the economy reaching full capacity and therefore for us hitting our dual mandate.
0: Policymakers
3: don't like changing policy without preparing markets. The fact that they haven't been preparing markets
2: for a rate hike suggests that there will not be one in June. Bloomberg surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Good morning, everyone. The interview of the day. Our Michael McKee with Jeff Lacker. Look for that in 30 minutes. Before that... A primer on American monetary theory. Marvin Goodfriend joins us, associated for years with the Richmond Fed, and now Meltzer Professor at Carnegie Mellon University. We'll speak with uh, Professor Goodfriend here uh, just in a few moments. I'll let Michael McKee lead off that important interview before his interview uh, with uh, Jeff Lacker. First though, uh, with lots going on, let me get this out of the way. The good friends at Cone Resnick helping us uh, this morning. Bloomberg surveillance as always. Brought to you by Cone Resnick Accounting. Tax advisory. Regulatory changes can impact your business. See how the experts at Cone Resnick can help you navigate these complexities. Find out more at ConeResnick.com. Uh, uh, delicate headlines out of the leadership of Egypt right now. They are speaking in Cairo, and there is a confusion over the comments of President Hollande earlier. The President of France suggesting that the Egypt air uh, plane crashed in the Mediterranean. Mediterranean Egypt officials pull back from that And they make clear that this is not a crash yet because there's no evidence of it. That is a nuance uh, within this tragedy. But that's being addressed right now to the Egyptian people uh, by Mr. Fathay as the uh, nation uh, uh, recoils from the uh, Egypt air crashing. Uh, This is north of Egypt and south of Athens uh, in uh, the Mediterranean. There are speculations and rumors about terrorism. I want to make clear there is no official. A word in any way whatsoever about uh, terrorism with this out uh, playing out. This is clearly a developing story. Uh, with that said, Michael, I think we need to frame our wonderful guest, Marvin, Goodfriend, friend, uh, working uh, years ago after Richmond Fed, and has been really Michael vigilant about the new Fed, the modern Fed, and its ability to tra- uh, to uh, translate message.
3: Well, uh indeed, and uh, Marvin comes from a tradition of the Richmond Fed uh, more hawkish than some of the other regional Fed banks, and uh, you're part of the shadow open market committee that w- that wants to raise uh, rates sooner rather than later, uh, as does uh, Richmond Fed President uh, Jeffrey Lacker, whom we'll talk to in a little bit. Uh, Marvin, what would be the justification for higher rates right now? People say um, we've got unemployment down, but we still can't get – inflation higher. Uh, the Fed's been doing a lot, but there's just uh, not a lot of demand in the country yet, and we should keep rates where they are.
0: Well, Tom and uh, Mike, thanks for inviting me. I-, I have to start out with my um, with a little bit of a preamble before I give you my justification, because it's, it's a little different than, um, than straight raising rate scenario. It's based on a long history of studying inflation scares in bond markets. I noticed today a big story on bond markets. The the main problem I think the Fed has, frankly, is not that inflation is going to be a problem. It's a problem of how to get the bond markets to be sensitive to the Fed's certain raising of interest rates over the next few years. In other words, the problem, in my view, is not that inflation is a problem per se, but there's a problem in exiting and making the bond markets do it in a smooth way. So I can go on with that in another minute and get to your point if you want. Otherwise, you can, you can, you can intervene.
3: Well, go ahead and and explain what you mean by trying to get the bond market to do what you want. Uh, Clearly, they haven't been able to.
0: Exactly. 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 So what I think part of the problem stems from the fact, I think, that the Fed does not use the language of the inflation target as strongly as I think it should. It, it, it should say, you know, we're, we're worried about inflation. That's our primary objective. Um, inflation is getting close to the 2% target. We have a case for raising rates at that point. Uh, I think they should lead with that argument, and they haven't been. So last year, what happened is they waited until December to move rates up. It looked like they were reluctant to do so. Then they moved rates up in December, and the market said, okay, you guys are ready to do it. Then they stopped. So what they have is a problem of the markets being unable to decide how the Fed is thinking vis-à-vis the proximity of the inflation rate to the inflation target. They've got themselves in a box, and that's where they are. They stop and start. Um, So here's the problem. If inflation expectations begin to rise and then they raise rates, they have a double whammy that knocks bond prices down. They don't want to do that. Um, but so there's a delicate business, and here's where I come out. Um, I think you have to look back at past inflation expectation situations, and I've done. A, I've been looking at inflation scares my whole life, uh, and and I think you need to ask yourself like, the question: What has precipitated significant or even large inflation uh, moves in the past? It's always been associated with, the way I would put it, an inclination on the part of the Fed to let inflation rise, either in the 60s because they thought it would lower unemployment or later in the 80s, in the 70s because in the ghost stop period they were reluctant to raise rates against because of the recession. But by the time we got through the 80s and the Volcker disinflation and the Greenspan, uh, you know, steady low inflation scenario, the last inflation scare in bond markets was 1994. We get into the 2000s. In my view, the the world already understands that the Fed is not going to let inflation go up much. And that's the world we're in.
1: Uh, full disclosure, folks, I've been in uh, Professor Goodfriend's office and offspring, had the privilege of studying with uh, Professor Goodfriend at Carnegie Mellon. Marvin, when you go into your office, straight ahead is your Sidney Crosby poster of the Pittsburgh Penguins. And just to the right of it is a magnificent bookshelf. <laughs> Of, of, of the history of, of economics. Are we just confusing our economic theory of a move from Keynesian nominal interest rate review to real interest rate review to this absolute insanity we have now of negative interest rates? Is that all that's really going on here?
0: Uh, I, I think there's a lot of confusion about how to interpret the transition from the high inflation period of the old days to where we are now. I think that there's a lot of confusion because the, the, the so-called rational expectations school, which emphasizes expectations, has been proven right over the Keynesians in the sense that we did, we were able to to, to to prevent inflation from going higher. But now I think people people don't really the Keynesians, especially they don't really think in terms of expect of credibility having been established for inflation. So I think the, the comparison for me is the late 1990s. Um, for where we are today in the early 1990s, you know inflation was six percent. Greenspan worked hard to get it down to three. We had the last bond market inflation scare in 1994 where bond market the long 30 year rate rose two percentage points. Since then, the bond markets have been quiet, if anything, worried about deflation. Uh, and so I think the Fed needs to have a sense of what the public believes about its intentions. And the Fed has not been clear about that. And that's what's the confusion. Uh, in some sense, I think the Fed is untrustworthy of its own credibility, honestly. I do think rates have to rise, but I think what's causing the choppiness is is an inability of the Fed to talk about what it's doing more closely in terms of its inflation target. And that's an old Keynesian problem. Keynesian economists do not like to talk in terms of monetary policy directly in terms of managing inflation. And so that's how I would square what you just just, uh, prompted me to say.
3: Well, it raises the question then, if the unless we get some sort of big economic data surprise between now and the June 15th meeting do they have to raise or are they going to severely hurt their credibility because now they've put
0: the markets on notice so the the problem it's there's no question that the, that as as the headlines would say that the June increase should be on the table absolutely if there's evidence that comes in strongly should do it and move um, but the problem is as i mentioned before the fed has has demonstrated mm-hmm. a reluctance in the last 6 months it's unclear whether they're really worried about inflation or they're worried about the bond market collapsing. Professor,
1: November 2000, you wrote overcoming the zero bound on interest rate policy. You've been thinking about this for a while. What would exactly happen to the American economy and markets if they raised in July and they raised some time else this year? What would be the outcome?
0: I think very little. I think there is headroom. Uh, I think the markets are forgiving at this point if the Fed were to say we'd like to raise rates another 50 basis points because that's what you're saying. I think if the Fed were to say that and to say that in terms of we're concerned about inflation and the negative short real rate, yeah, they could get away with that. But that would be moving in, more in terms okay. of a rule, more in terms of steadiness. Are you, in other words, what, it, uh, let me say this: either the market has to get steady, or the Fed has to get steady. You have a dance between two partners. To, to, if you right. will, my metaphor would be they're on the floor, and nobody knows what hand to put out to the other.
1: Quickly, here: are you dancing with Lawrence Summers right now? <laughs> or are, you, are you and Larry Summers on the same page?
0: A- absolutely not. I realize my <laughs> message is a little bit, uh, you know, a little more nuanced. But absolutely not. Okay, we just not need... If you give me a minute or two, I can yeah. explain that later. <laughs> okay,
1: Marvin Goodfriend wound up this morning. Michael McKee, am I doing okay? I got the Pittsburgh Penguins in there last night after they whooped Tampa Bay 4-2.
3: Yeah, the folks in Tampa are not going to be talking to you this morning. You're you're too gleeful.
1: We say good morning to we'll Raymond to James down in Tampa, who uh, give us good perspective from time to time. Marvin Goodfriend uh, with us from Carnegie Mellon uh, University. What a perfect preparation for Mike's discussion with Jeffrey Lacker. This is uh, the hour of economics worldwide today. I can really say that. really looking forward to Mike's uh, questions uh, with the president of the Richmond Fed. We will return with Marvin Goodfriend of Carnegie Mellon Futures negative three the yield 1.86 percent this morning
3: let's check in with michael bar now and get the latest on that missing egypt airplane
2: mike tom thank you very much greece's defense minister says the egypt air flight that crashed this morning made abrupt turns and suddenly lost altitude just before vanishing from radar shortly after entering cairo's air traffic control area He says the plane turned 90 degrees left and then a 360-degree turn toward the right, dropping from an altitude of 38,000 feet to 15,000 feet and then was lost at about 10,000 feet. Flight 804, with 66 people on board, was flying from Paris to Cairo. Meanwhile, France's lower house of parliament has approved the two-month extension of the state of emergency that was declared after the deadly November attacks in Paris. Global news, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. Now Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Tell-
1: we'll extend that conversation. Michael McKee and Tom Keene, speaking mm-hmm. with Marvin Goodfriend, and we'll talk about secular stagnation. Some of the other themes that we hear from the good former president of Harvard, Lawrence Summers. From Washington, from New York, Bloomberg Surveillance.
3: The news update brought to you by Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm, five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce Fenner and Smith Incorporated.
2: Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus Mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. Futures moving lower this morning. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. And here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. Futures are down, but have paired their losses since the Walmart results. Dow Futures currently lower by 16 points. SB's dropped two and a half. And NASDAQ futures fall by six. The U.S. 10 yield at 1.87 percent. On the U.S. economic front at 830, Chicago Fed, initial jobs claims and Philly Fed. And at 1030, natural gas storage change. And Fed's Dudley speaks in New York. After the Bell last night, Cisco beat. Shares are up 5 percent pre-market. Salesforce boosted your views. And Tesla reported a $2 billion public offering. Regarding earnings this morning, Advanced Auto Parts EPS missed. Shares are down 10% pre-market. Dick Sporting Goods cut your EPS views. And Walmart Q1 beat. Shares are up 8% pre-market. In deal news, Monsanto got an unsolicited proposal from Bayer. TechNip to merge with FMC in an all-stock deal. And Church and Dwight is up 8% pre-market on reports of a possible bid. Finally, some of your Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. Hilton and Hyatt cut to neutral over at Bank of America. Bank United cut to sell Goldman Sachs. And Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman both cut to sector perform at RBC. Live from the First Breaking News Desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen. Thanks, Bill. To hear live breaking news over here at Bloomberg, type squawk a go on your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K-Go. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike.
1: Karen, uh, thanks so much. I'm Bloomberg Surveillance this morning from Washington, from New York. Brought to you by Invesco. Have you considered all? Of your investment alternatives, non-traditional asset classes and strategies may help you achieve your goals. Find out more at Invesco.com slash alternatives. Michael McKee in Washington with him. Jeffrey Lacker will get to their important interview uh, here in about 11 minutes. Before that, we are honored to bring you the Meltzer professor at Carnegie Mellon, Marvin Goodfriend. Marvin, I, we were talking about Mr. Summers and secular stagnation. I take your point that rational expectations forced the Keynesian movement of decades to consider interest rates, to consider inflation to consider a modern more open economy and yet rational expectations has a prescription that the market will fix all that didn't work out did it
0: well right i mean no one would have no one would have really expected that to be true although what you're right tom it it the rational expectations point of view tended to be associated with a free market point of view that that the markets do everything correctly without any assist from good, good good government good rule of law other other real economy factors but but that, that those views have been separated over the last few years but initially that was absolutely the case <laughs>
1: Jeff Lacker, years ago, and folks, the part of economics that Jeffrey Lacker is acclaimed for is, I mean, I would need a Bloody Mary in my hand, Professor Goodman, to get through this, good friend to get through this, but incentive-compatible financial contracts, asset prices, (laughs) and the value of control, 1990, come on, Professor, you don't even teach this at Carnegie (laughs) Mellon, but what Lacker gets to is contracts and trust, has this the Fed lost the trust of the American people with their confusion of communication. <laughs>
0: I think, I think it's fair to say that to pick up on the analogy that I that I left with the last segment you know the Fed is dancing with markets and there there's no neither side knows where to put their hands on the shoulders or the, the waist of the other it's it, and so there's no trust there's no sense of what we what do we do how do we behave together in other words the, in the fancy language of economics the Fed has not provided a stable policy rule or behavior that the market can latch onto and 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 the and then therefore the market is just flailing around trying to figure out what the Fed's up to, and therefore the Fed can't forecast what the market is doing. Uh, and that's my technical way of describing what you what you did. We need to establish trust uh, in order for this thing to move smoothly forward.
3: Well, does that suggest then, Marvin, that you would want a rule based system?
0: Well, I. I do favor a rule-based system. I think there's no alternative but for the Fed to be more clear about the terms upon which it's raising interest rates. And I, as I say before, the only thing that the Fed can really control over the long run is the long-run rate of inflation. And so I think it should speak more, much more strongly in terms of justifying what it's doing in terms of its inflation target than it is willing to do at this point. And to justify what it's doing in terms of anything else is kind of a wobbly way of doing business because we're near full employment by most uh, uh, measures. And you're splitting hairs, uh, and it's very difficult to communicate on that basis.
3: Let me ask you a question that I'm going to put to Jeff. I'll preview it for him here. Uh, and I, you referenced this a little bit, I think, earlier, a story on the Bloomberg today where they talked with Lars Rohde, the uh, Danish central bank governor, who suggests that maybe at the zero bound, and, uh, in some cases in his country, even negative rates, the relationship between monetary policy and inflation breaks down, that uh, monetary policy is aimed at basically stimulating demand, and there's just no demand out there.
0: Uh, I think there's no question that. Uh, well, I don't know if there's. There, there's certainly a demand problem in certain countries in certain parts of the world. The U.S. I don't think has a huge demand problem, so we don't have the negative real rates that you're talking about in Europe, that the Danish uh, governor is talking about. Um, and 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 I think that to me that echoes my 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 sense that what the Fed should be doing is turkey, talking in terms of inflation. If inflation stays below target, um, maybe it shouldn't be so uh, eager to raise rates because basically because it's that inflation conversation is really the only stable conversation that the Fed has. Okay, have.
1: but Professor, with the time we've got left, you as a genetic hawk, can you withstand a yelling overshoot on inflation?
0: <laughs> well, I would like to see that, actually. Um, you know, we haven't had that kind of thing happen uh, since 2008 a little bit. Um, I could withstand it, but I want her to start talking about inflation target right now so that she, she, she can use, being under target, she can use that as a reason, maybe right. to delay rates if she wants, and then she hitches her wagon yeah. to that, and then if inflation goes above, you get the credibility on the upside. I don't know
1: what's going to happen here. Marvin Goodfriend is either going to run the Richmond Fed or the San Francisco Fed or maybe the Federal Reserve Bank of New Zealand, one of the three at some point. Marvin Goodfriend is at Carnegie Mellon uh, University, and yes, folks, I got an email. He does have a Sidney Crosby poster uh, in his office. He is the Meltzer Professor of Economics uh, at Carnegie Mellon. Mike, that was just fabulous. What a great way to set up your conversation with Mr. Lacker. Obviously, it leads to
3: several questions that we will put to the president of the Richmond Fed in just a few moments. I don't know if he's got any hockey posters in his office, but you, Tom, have single-handedly lost Every listener we have in Tampa today.
1: Well, I, I've done that, but it's fun. For those of you worldwide, it's <laughs> just wonderful hockey. This is prime time for wonderful ice hockey. Mike and I have really enjoyed uh, the coverage, and uh, uh, we, we uh, uh, enjoy what we see across Canada and North America through the Stanley Cup. Coming up, Michael McKee's important conversation with Jeffrey Lacker of Richmond from Washington, from New York, Bloomberg Surveillance.
3: Coming up, the with all due respect highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit com or call 1-800-FIND-4WD for details. Land Rover, above and beyond.